Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Seth Siegel Gardner from the Southern Smoke Foundation coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. I alluded to this very briefly with Russell Barra in last week's Tex-Mex draft, but we have big Tex-Mex news. Dallas Tex-Mex staple Mikosina is coming back to Houston. They're hoping the third time is the charm. This time they have claimed the former Seasons 52 space on Westheimer just inside the loop. Michael, let me let me throw it to you. Are you familiar with Mikosina? Have you eaten at Mikosina? I mean, this is a very popular restaurant in the Dallas area. I have not eaten there. I am familiar with it. Um, I know they've got a pretty expansive menu. Uh, you know, I know it's not inexpensive. I also know that the location they're going to, that Seasons 52, right next to the River Oak Center, is is about the most expensive restaurant real estate there is. Uh, so they're going to have to one, do really good numbers and two, you know, the, the prices are going to be pretty, pretty high for normal Tex-Mex. So, you know, you're generally, generally going to be catering, I guess, to a crowd that, that is not really an issue. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I talked to the the president of the Mikosina parent company, he pointed out that they, they have a, a location in Dallas's Highland Park neighborhood that's just been incredibly successful, kind of a flagship location for them. And so their their goal is to replicate that success in a similar demographic environment, thus, you know, the greater, you know, River Oaks, Island Village, Afton Oaks kind of area. And, and it's interesting, you sort of ask people like, well, what are they known for? And it's really, it's they call it the Mambo Taxi. It's a frozen margarita with a swirl of sangria. It's like, you you know, what about the food? Well, you know, they do brisket tacos and they do, you know, they do some other tacos. And of course they have fajitas and enchiladas, but it's like, what's the thing that everybody goes to Mikasina for? It's the Mambo Taxi. Okay. Well, not really much of a draw for me. You know, we talked about this in, in the last podcast with the, the, the Tex-Mex draft, you know, fantasy draft about how, regional Tex-Mex can be how, how much it's tied to where you grew up, the nostalgia associated with that um, and, and how rich the culture is here in Houston. You know, I don't think they'll be necessarily be seen as a quote unquote interloper, you know, they're a Texas based one. Um, but there's no, I mean, I'm trying to think the last sort of Tex-Mex place around there was it, was it, I guess Escalante's went into Highland village and, you know, it was not an it, like it was a pretty expensive proposition just to get some enchiladas or fajitas there. Right. But uh, it's still there. It's still right. You know, it's still drawing people. Yeah. I mean, the the I think the the last like prominent Tex-Mex restaurant to open in that general area, you know, is probably the Ninfas on Post Oak that opened in the Pesca space. I think that, you know, Post Oak and San Felipe, I think that's probably the the best example and then there's Blanco, the Fox Restaurant Group's restaurant, the Galleria. It's kind of its own thing. Right. But yeah, I think, you know, I think if, if you're thinking about kind of where does this fit, you know, it's going to be more at the El Tiempo or Armando's kind of price point crowd. It's going to have a, a dedicated bar area that's adults only. I mean, they, you know, they have a, you know, it's a big space and they have, they have a plan to utilize all of it. So, yeah. And that space is right next to an upscale, apartment complex uh you know we actually had a mutual friend who lived there briefly and that's all very that's just like loaded with disposable income so i mean just the just being tied next to that apartment you know that that living area and another one that's going up uh just the foot traffic alone you know should should help them quite a bit to the extent that people are you know, going to get a Tom Ford suit and then want to get enchiladas. Uh, I don't know. We'll see with that whole crowd. But, you know, most of those restaurants in that River Oak Center are doing pretty well. So is there room for more? Of course there is. Right. I mean, if you think about, you know, Steak 48 is one of the highest grossing 
restaurants in the city that's right next door. And then Lake Colonial, Toulouse, you know, Lock Bar, Uzo Bay, Mad, you know, they've all done, they've all done very well. And, and of course, River Oaks district continues to add uh, new restaurants. They just opened a, a breakfast place. They've got a Mexican, like a, a, a Mexican restaurant from Mexico uh, via Miami. That's, that's about to open there too. So, you know, no, no shortage of dining options in the area, but, you know, certainly no reason to think that me Cocina, uh, you know, kind of given its history, won't, won't be more successful than in the past when it, you know, they did kind of a, you know, a Briar Grove, Tanglewood Memorial location in the mid aughts. And then they were in the Woodlands mall until about 2017. But, but it seems like this is a, this is a, a more, a, a bigger commitment and, and a, like they're coming for real this time. They're they're not messing did, around. Did you go to the when they were here before? Did you go to the Mi Casino? No, I've I've never eaten there, and and so you know I'll add that to my list of Dallas restaurants to visit uh, the next time I the next time I'm in the North Country. Yeah, I mean I'll, I'll check it out. Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Texas Monthly named three Houston restaurants to its list of the state's ten best new restaurants. Very briefly, they are Navy Blue, the seafood restaurant in Rice Village. That came in first. Hamsa, the Israeli restaurant, also in Rice Village, came in third. And Pacha Nikkei, the uh, Japanese-Peruvian fusion restaurant in the West Chase District, came in sixth. Gatlin's Fins and Feathers and Flora got honorable mentions. Michael, I say all that to say to you, what do you think? Did Texas Monthly get it right for the most part? Are, are these three of the best restaurants that opened in Houston between December 1st, 2021 and December 1st, 2022. We've had a lot open up. So it's a, you know, a daunting task. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Pat Sharp, uh, her, her palate, her understanding of the business, her understanding of the history, the context, you know, she's not a fly by night. She's the real deal. Uh, so I, you know, I like her writing too. So I think she's made really good choices. Uh, I know there's one that's not on there and I'll let you speak about that. Um, that's kind of surprising. It, what I find interesting, so much has been opening in Austin uh, and it's, it's pretty well represented. You know, the city to me, that surprisingly just doesn't seem to have the upward trajectory of restaurant openings and the, you know, the expanse and, and diversity is San Antonio when compared to like Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, it's much more slow moving. It's not, they're much more entrenched in what would they have. Um, I, I hope, you know, in the coming years, we're going to see that change a little bit, you know, cause it's a, it's a really interesting town uh, and there's a lot of room for growth there uh, in that fee, in the restaurant industry at, at all levels, you know, um, something besides, you know, the, you know, the touristy crap that's served on the, on the river walk. So I'd like to go there more than once every five years and be, you know, pleasantly surprised by something that's, that's happening there. So that's just commentary on San Antonio. You know, I've been to Hamza multiple times. and It's, it's outstanding. Um, I've only done the lunch thing. I understand it's quite frenetic at, at night, you know, and they're packing them in and more power to them. That's great. Yeah, they, they've got the belly dancing on Thursday nights that I think is uh, <laughs> pretty energetic. I've I've not had that experience, but yeah, I mean, Homs is you know obviously building on the success of Doris Metropolitan. You know, it's been a huge hit for for those guys, and and the, the kind of you know I've said this so many times, but you know, a restaurant that that you know I've been waiting for to to open in Houston. So, you know, I've I've really enjoyed that. Uh, you know, Pasha Nikkei, unfortunately, I've only been once since it opened in in West Chase, but the word of mouth has been very good. And, and I need to get back there and see what uh, Chef Masaharu is up to, because it, it seems like he's really got that dialed in. You know, thinking about kind of the San Antonio restaurants on the list, it, it's like a, you know, a couple of French influence restaurants. I, You know, it's not it's not really the kind of cuisine that I I think of when I. I go to San Antonio necessarily, but right. Like mixedly know. or cure or, you know, any of the yeah. incredibly well, you know, grounded uh, Mexican influence and Tex-Mex influenced uh, restaurants. Well, and there's, and there's Ladino, which is the, uh, you know, I think that comes from uh, the uh, 
Emmerin Rye Group. I think that's the uh, their kind of Mediterranean spot. I'd be real curious to try that at some point. But yeah, they're man, they are freight train moving at top speed. That company. Yeah, but but as you up. said, I mean the 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 notable omission for me on the on the Texas Monthly list is to Temo. You know, obviously, again, it's a restaurant we've talked about quite a bit. You know, I had Emmanuel Chavez, the, the chef and co-owner, on the podcast in January, so I don't want to I don't want to beat that too far into the ground. But made the Esquire list of best two restaurants. Uh, right now, it's a James Beard Award semifinalist with uh, for best two restaurant in the country. With I'd say a decent shot at at making the short list on the finalists. So that's that's the the big one for me. It's a little bit surprising, and certainly uh, Jose Rolot, the the taco editor for Texas Monthly, has been a big advocate for it. So, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to hear Pat's explanation for kind of why it didn't, it didn't make her list, but, uh, you know, overall, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty solid collection of places and, and a good guide to, you know, where to go, you know, if we're in Dallas or Austin or San Antonio looking for something new to try. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to go to diner bar in Austin uh, Mashama Bailey's place, you know, that was announced, you know, quite a while ago when it finally opened. Um, I had the good fortune to dine at the gray. Uh, you know, of course she won the, she won the James Beard chef, not, not the regional chef. She was the outstanding chef for the country, uh, in 2022. And I, you know, I had the tasting menu at the gray and it was, it's like one of the greatest dining experiences I've had in a long time both the food and the service was just absolutely stellar and I would go back in a heartbeat. And so for her to do something, you know, a little more tuned to the regional area, but still kind of bringing forth that aesthetic that she has, of, you know, being able to execute at a high level, you know, you know, uh, and, but bringing in regional ingredients, bringing in her upbringing of, you know, New York, as well as the sort of Ethiopian uh, influence, uh, as well as with the deep South. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a fascinating amalgamation of influences that just, man, has just come together in a beautiful way with what she does. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to go there. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number three. The team behind travelers table announced that it is opening travelers cart, a fast casual restaurant in the former Pronto casino space. Uh, whereas Traveler's Table is maybe not fine dining, but certainly, you know, full service and, and a little bit more elevated. Uh, Traveler's Cart will be a fast casual restaurant uh, and devoted to global street food. Michael, what do you what do you think about this? Is Does a fast casual sibling for Traveler's Table seem like a good move for that group? You know, I, I don't know even how qualified I am to respond to this because I thought Traveler's Table was not going to make it. You know, uh, I'll be straight up about that. I thought it was like it wasn't really focused on doing one thing really well. It was this kind of this mishmash of different influences saying, hey, you don't need to go to this neighborhood or to this area for that food or this restaurant. We're going to bring all these different places together to have this kind of global experience and i thought it was going to be too diffused but you know as well as the location the restaurant the left-hand turn off of westheimer there was all these reasons you know there's always a reason why a place necessarily doesn't do well and and you know i was absolutely wrong and i'm i'm so happy for them i'm happy for their success uh that they've done well not just you know with the dinner that but then they're they launched a brunch that's done very well so, you know, if if their place is, is running well now and they're flush with, you know, extra cash, then why not bring that that whole aesthetic, that that ideal of different influences uh, to, like I said, the more casual thing. And that I think that the, the restaurant that was there was a, a fast, casual place. So, you know, they'll get the loyal you know neighborhood customers to go there and maybe they'll they'll garner new ones. So. Um, more power to them. Right. No, I, I, I think that's all well said. I, I think there was a lot of skepticism when that restaurant opened because, oh, you know, they're going to do a Thai dish and an Indian dish and a Chinese dish and, and a couple of African dishes and a South American steak and pao de queso and, and all these things. And it's not necessarily that they, it's not necessarily that it's like the best version of any single one of those dishes. You could, you could find another restaurant if you, you know, if you want the best cow soy, you know, there's a Thai restaurant that's going to accommodate you. But 
and you're going with a group of people and everybody wants something a little different. And the, the smart thing is they don't try to mash them up, right? They just do a really good version of whatever dish that they're creating. And, and that's been incredibly successful for them. They were on diners, drive-ins and dives uh, to your point, Mishama Bailey and her, her business partner, when they came to town for a, an event promoting their, their memoir and cookbook, they did it at traveler's table. Cause they saw some, some links between the two restaurants, not, not so much culinarily, but but from a like a business perspective. So yeah, and that that brunch is just rocking and rolling every weekend. So yeah, it's been it's been incredibly successful, and and so I'm excited to see what they do uh, in a fast casual, lower price point street food concept because you know they they clearly understand their audience, and and I think this could be this could be a big hit for them. Yeah. Uh, and they clearly understand the business. They understand food costs. They reworked the restaurant from when it was the Paul key place, which was not well laid out. I mean, having that bar right at the front of the door, you know, uh, so they understand that dynamic. So, you know, having, keeping it tight there, I, I think it could work. Absolutely. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Michael, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Lulu's Day and Night. This is the new casual restaurant from the owners of Blood Brothers Barbecue and pastry chef Alyssa Dole. It is located in the Stomping Grounds, the restaurant-focused development in Garden Oaks. Uh, Michael, you and I had lunch at Lulu's a few weeks ago. I thought it went pretty well, but, but let me throw it to you. What did you... What do you, what did you think about Lulu's day and night? I, I think it fits the location really well. I think it fits. Uh, it, it's a great second concept for the blood brothers, like as opposed to just doing another barbecue place, gives them a chance to kind of branch out and do something a little bit different. You know, they've brought in Arash to oversee that. Uh, and that's a guy who definitely understands uh, many different cuisines. He also understands, uh, handling food cost and labor. Um, he's a pretty sharp guy. And Alyssa is a really talented, she's really talented. So giving her like a, a forum to express that as opposed to just, you know, maybe making desserts for them uh, is, is, is great. Um, it's pretty, they're keeping it pretty simple. You know, what I've noticed is that, you know, I think I got there maybe 10, 15 minutes after they opened and in the 20 minutes I was sitting there, the, they had a line out the door and it was a lot of families. It was a, clearly a lot of local people too. I mean, the, the community seems to have really embraced it. Uh, like they just got crushed. You know, one of the owners had messaged me later and apologized for not talking to me. And when he had the chance, I was like, dude, one, we're there to support. You're there to work. You know, if we talk, that's fine, but don't worry about it. But more importantly, more power to you. That's great. Uh, you know, keeping, they're not, they're not doing like a billion beers. I think they have like five or six beers in a can, five or six beers on tap, you know, which they are, are a lot of that's pretty local. Um, I like, like, I'm. this is going to sound like heresy, but I'm not a big meatball sub guy. It's not my thing. I think I've mentioned that before. There's their version was really good. It was really tasty. The, the quality of the bread was great. The meatball was good. There was enough cheese on it. Um, the fried chicken sandwich doing their version of that was, was serviceable to be sure. I'm curious. Maybe incredible with the, with the pimento cheese and the coleslaw. Pimento cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That BLT was really good with the thick cut bacon, you know? Uh, Yeah. And then the, and then the club sandwich with the the turkey and the, and more of the bacon. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting for that center. We saw cherry block, you know, open and close pretty quickly. Um, and for a variety of reasons, but you know, uh, more of the center is opened. Uh, like I think I tried to get coffee. They're like, no, there's a coffee place you can go to. Like there seems to be like good support among the other institute, the other places there. They're like, they realize that a lot of their success is also tied to other people's and it benefits them to see the other places do well. Uh, so there seemed to be a good, you know, kind of fraternal support there. 
and the price point's really reasonable. Like I think all the sandwiches were all under 15. They were all like between 10 and $13 and they were good, good quality. So that, that bodes well for them. I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you, you've given me quite about a bit to riff on. I mean, you know, you talk about Alyssa Dole, you know, this is someone that we've seen at a number of restaurants around town, you know, revival market Pinkerton's barbecue, you know, she worked for the Kirby group for a little while. And and you're right. I think we've been kind of waiting for a, a restaurant or a bakery or something that really showcases her talents. And so, yeah, she's making all the breads for the sandwiches, but she's also making cinnamon rolls and cookies and, you know, Australian style uh, meat pies and, and all these other things. And uh, and so, you know, it's kind of it's fun to go in there and like, oh, what's in the you know, what's in the pastry case? What can I get for dessert? You know, and like you said, you get a you get a turkey sub it's or a turkey a turkey club rather it's got it's got smoked turkey from blood brothers barbecue i mean that's a that's a great you know you know house made bread and and blood brothers barbecue that's a great starting point for any sandwich so you know i think they're onto something with the ingredients and and the stomping grounds is kind of coming into its own it's it's been a slow burn certainly yeah fortunate it's unfortunate what happened to cherry block but you know lulu's is holding it down you know bolo pizza uh, just open there over the weekend and, and fat cats doing all right. And rooster and rice from San Francisco is there and they've got a sushi place coming and a, a pho restaurant coming and, you know, they'll, and eventually they'll find something to take the, the cherry block space and, and it'll all kind of come together, I think. So, you know, a, a lot of reasons for optimism. Uh, you know, the, the thing of course is that it's Lulu's day and night and they're only open from 11 to six. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so clearly the, the plan is to do, some sort of morning service. I mean, you could easily see them doing, especially brunch on the weekends, uh, if not, you know, coffee and pastries or, or at least pastries in the mornings during the week. And then, and then, you know, they have cocktails uh, that maybe aren't as appealing in lunch. So clearly they have plans for dinner, uh, but it's just kind of a, a question of building that critical mass and building that awareness, but they're, they've been rolling it out slowly. You know, they got, they opened Blood Brothers and they they basically got overwhelmed and so I think they're they're taking their time with this because they can, and yeah I think you know we had three or four delicious sandwiches a you know a very tasty plate of fried cheese sticks, uh quite a lot to like so yeah I think you know and this is this is a place that I'm seeing on my own social feeds people are kind of making their way to this everybody seems to be digging it so I'm I'm feeling very optimistic about. Lulu's day and night. Yeah, there was a good crowd when we were there. And like like that whole grassy area that they have inside of there was just like it was like, you know, it was really well manicured. And so and it wasn't like don't walk on this. It was like kids, you know, like parents were putting their kids down, you know, that they could watch them at the same time get get their food. It was, you know, fun for the kid. It was comfortable. I mean, that that goes a long way. Uh, yeah, and- no, it's basically exists as a kid's play area, you know, without slides or a swing set or anything, but it's basically for kids to, to run around and tire themselves out, which. Right. You know, and there's nothing for them to hit their head on or, you know, whatever. I mean, you never underestimate a kid to do something to his like self, as you know, but, but still it's, it's a, it's a well-designed area. And, and I think you hit on a good point too, is that rather than, you know, open with very ambitious hours, uh, they're slowly rolling it out and that way they can see how it, how it develops and they do have a full liquor license. So yeah, I, I couldn't help but think that they're going to expand more tonight, which is the original plan as I understand it, but you know, we'll see what they do. Yeah. I think hopefully they start to bring some of those dinner specials from, you know, blood brothers does that Thursday night dinner service. You know, hopefully they start to bring some of that stuff, the prime rib, the chicken fried steak, you know, those kind of dishes, you know, if those show up at Lulu's, uh, for dinner, I think that'll that'll intersect with the neighborhood well and and would be to their benefit. Yeah, the Thursday night at Blood Brothers has done pretty well for them. I mean, I know people who aren't necessarily barbecue people. I mean, yes, it, it is possible there is people who aren't barbecue people, but who go there like almost every Thursday because they they really like their their special. So, uh, yeah, I would lo- I'd love to see that. And if, oh, if they did a, a Rosh did a prime rib, I would definitely be there. Yeah, well, I've had their I've had the prime rib at Blood Brothers, and it's it's very delicious. So you know, I'll just put that out in the universe. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, either Arash or Robin or Terry 
is listening and, and decides to get on it. But, uh, <laughs> Daddy, the universe is listening. It's listening. <laughs> All right. So just to, just to wrap this up, Lulu's, you'll go back. Absolutely. Me too. All right. Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. And I will be right back with Seth Siegel Gardner. I am joined this week by the culinary director of the Southern Smoke Foundation. You might know him as the former chef owner of the Pass and Provisions. Seth Siegel Gardner, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. I want to talk about Southern Smoke. I want to talk about what you're doing now, but I also, you know, every time I have someone on the show for the first time, in particular, I always like to kind of take a look back. So so tell me a little bit about kind of how you got into the world of professional cooking. Because uh, I know I know you spent some time in New York working for Marcus Samuelson. So I'm I'm curious to hear the story of how you, you got from Houston to Chef Marcus. Sure. Um, I mean, I my first restaurant job was when I was 13. I worked at the original Tony Mandola's over on West Gray. Um, it just so happened that my family was good friends with, or not good friends, they had a mutual friend with the Mandolas. And when I was being born, their son, Tommy, was born on the same day as I was. So our mutual friend was in the hospital, like running back and forth to like, you know, see how the families were doing. So kind of got to, I think, parents got to be friends that way and i'm sure it turned into something where like i wanted to buy something and they were probably like get a job and i was like okay how do i get a job and i think they called and so i was in the back you know rolling silverware and asking a lot of questions and probably creating more work than actually doing work but that was my first restaurant experience was being in the back of the house there um, and then from there, you know, was, went to school all through high school here in Houston, went to university of Denver, um, worked in restaurants just in college as kind of a, you know, the hustle. Um, my now wife, when we were dating, she was in Connecticut. So we, I moved up to Connecticut with her and was kept working in restaurants and then she got a job in New York and I, you know, busted out my Zagat guide and made a list of all the restaurants that I wanted to apply to. And Aquavit was on that list and I had the map and I walked around New York dropping off resumes, you know, back in the glory days of no internet. And <laughs> um, so it just so happened that I remember walking into Aquavit. Marcus was sitting there speaking to the chef. Um, uh, a cook had hurt himself and had been out. And literally Marcus looked at the chef and was like, get this guy to come and do a stage and let's see what, you know, how he is. So it was a very fortuitous kind of experience and life-changing for me. And I look back on those, you know, memories with, fondness but also like you know it was crazy the two guys that drained me were two japanese guys one young and one old and all they did was scream at me in japanese for like the first year i was there yeah i i mean how long how long were you there i worked for i worked at aquavit for two years i was there in the original location and then they've actually moved locations so i was part of the team that helped move it to just a different part of Midtown. Um, and as my time was coming to an end there, I spoke to Marcus and just said, look, I'd like to, you know, see something else in New York. And so he literally walked me down the street to his friend, Scott Conant's restaurant. Um, and was like, give him a job basically. And so then I, I think took a couple of days off and then immediately started working at Alto, which is now not there anymore, I don't 
Yeah, so he, he traded you for a, a line cook and a dishwasher to be named. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was some sort of draft pick or something like that. So I, I guess, you know, you, you spent your time in New York. You worked for, for Marcus and Scott Conant. When, what prompted you to come, come back to Houston in the, what, 2009, 2010 kind of range? Uh, we were – I had been – I also worked for Gordon Ramsay in New York and opened his restaurant there. That's where I met Terrence. And so we kind of became fast friends in New York. Um, that was by far the craziest opening I've ever been a part of, and I don't think I've ever worked more continuous, like, you know, 90, 100-hour weeks than push. You know, maybe when we opened Passive Provisions was kind of pushing that as well. but. Um, worked there. Uh, my wife uh, got into the London School of Economics, so we moved. Actually, sorry, we also lived in Chicago. I opened a restaurant for Marcus in Chicago. Uh, from Chicago, we were there for almost a year and a half, two years. Then we moved to London, where she got into school, um, and I spent a year in London working for uh, doing some private chefing and um, working for a guy named Nuno Mendes, who's a Portuguese chef, super talented, um, worked for, you know, worked at El Bulli for a long time. Like, I mean, he's kind of a, a legend in London. Um, and then I did get to work at the Fat Duck for a short little stint as well. Uh, but the whole time, just kind of scheming with Terrence always about like what we hated about restaurants, what we loved about restaurants. We should do something together. Uh, they came and visited us in London. Um, and we just started hatching a little plan, I guess. Um, we knew our time was going to be limited in London and our family friend had the restaurant just dinner here in Houston and it always would close in the month of August. We were coming back June, July-ish. And I called him. He's since passed. And had just said, look, I was wondering if I could, you know, kind of take the restaurant over for a month and try out this idea, a little bit of a market test for Houston and see how it goes. Uh, obviously, Terrence was my first phone call and Justin Yu was my second. Um and just said, look, guys, I think we should try this, see how it goes. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then we just can all go on and get jobs somewhere else. Um, and just said, I'm going to give it a go, whether y'all come or not, but it'd be a hell of a lot easier if y'all came too. Yeah, I mean, I I have kind of, I, I went to, you know, this was the Just August project, and I remember going to one of those dinners, but, but I think more than what I, this is before I was writing, before I was sort of professionally involved in the, the food scene. I, I mean, what I remember is just that, you know, you, you describe it as a market test, but as I recall, the reservations basically sold out immediately. Like there, you, you, you had tapped into something maybe that was bigger than you, you even realized. I think we were, when we when the idea started, I was I was concerned for sure because that is, you know, my parents fronted me a little cash just to like buy a couple pieces of equipment and obviously buy a little bit of inventory just to start. And I was definitely like, oh shit, like what are we gonna do? Like if this doesn't work, or do we have to do we have to do brunch, you know, just to like make extra money or something like that? And I was like, that's not really what we want to do. But um, and then Allison, I think, picked up on it. I think she had been kind of following along with what Justin had been doing, maybe even what I had been doing previously. And I think she must have put it, it was basically she posted about it. And then I think the reservations were gone in like a day or something like that. So we, that felt good, of course. Obviously, you got to like live up to expectations at that point as well. Um, but it was nice to know that that immediately told us there was a demand for this. There was a demand for like kind of getting out of 
I think Houston was in a little bit of a culinary rut at that pump at that moment. And it was, there was a lot happening, you know, it was post, you know, post 2008 crash. Like I think people were like, people were going back out. They were getting excited about eating out. I think people were starting. I still, you know, people now are probably the most educated they've ever been about food. And I think that was really kind of around the time that people started taking their own like personal, like, I don't know, food education seriously, if that was something they were into and they had so much more access to it as well. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like early Top Chef, you know, early Bourdain, even Andrew Zimmern to a certain extent, you, you, you could, you could learn more about, you know, these great restaurants, these great chefs, like some of these culinary movements in, in a way that you couldn't really before without sort of pre-internet. So yeah, I think, I think you tapped into that and I think, Oh, you know, they worked for Gordon Ramsay and Marcus Samuelson and Justin had been stodging in Europe. I mean, you know, it all kind of, you know, I, I mean, I remember reading Justin's blog, you know, like right. it all, yeah. it all kind of came together in that, in that moment. Yeah. I think it was, it was also around, I think the time that chefs really started figuring out how to use social media to their advantage and I think guests as well being like how to find stuff that maybe they didn't, you know, cause if you were, if Allison was writing about it, you had to wait a week to get it in the newspaper. It might already be gone by then or something. It was, you know, it was a lot of like instant access Yeah, and you could, sorry, you could no, message, no, you know, you could message us and we would write you back. It was like for the first time you had, there's a lot of barriers being broken down, I think, in the culinary world. Yeah, ev- everybody was on Twitter and Twitter was still fun. It was like before you could, you know, you could before you could kind of ruin your whole life by tweeting the wrong thing. You could exactly, you yeah. know, you could you could get drunk and pop off on Twitter and it wouldn't be the end of the world for anybody. You know, you could it was going to be OK. Yes. And, but it but yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, Chris Shepard was a Catalan and you guys were kind of doing your thing. And, and, you know, the, I think, as you said, the, the culinary scene in Houston had gotten a little bit stayed. Like, I don't, I don't I, I don't even know if there was a consensus best restaurant, but you know, there was that, that sense that, you know, some of the old, some of the older, more established places had gotten a little bit stale and that there was like a moment where a new generation could kind of assert themselves and bring some of these, these trends to Houston in a way that they, they hadn't really. And I, I think it was just, you know, good competition. I think, and there had been, there hadn't been a lot of that happening. I think where it was really pushing. I mean, Chris tells a story that like we came to Houston and he kind of like kicked the fucking door down and said like, we're fucking here. Like, yeah. And that was the idea. So, I mean, I'm glad it worked. We, Justin has, you know, been incredibly successful. I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, and, you know, we had a pretty good go of it too. And Terrence will open his restaurant soon and, you know, he'll be fucking banging away again too. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't want to go like full Chris Farley, Paul McCartney with you, but, but like, like, man, the passive provisions, man, when you guys opened that place in 2012, it, it just took off like a rocket ship and it was, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say it was the coolest restaurant I'd ever been to, but there was an excitement about it that just be, and, and I, and I, I was a baby writer. I'd been writing for, you know, four or five months when you guys opened. So it was, it was all very new to me and more exciting because of that. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't remember uh, a situation like that. And, and you guys, you assembled like just an incredible collection of people to help you get that thing off the ground too. We had an amazing crew. I mean, I, you know, still keep in touch with some of them. I think that we were very lucky that, you know, we had, we got to like get all the best people in Houston to come and help us with that project. Um, I think now it's harder, you know, we didn't get, we were, 
let's put it when we opened, we weren't dealing with staffing issues. So let's put it that way. You know, we were trying to overstaff, make sure we had plenty of people, make sure everybody, you know, stations were covered. The, you know, we were, we were just trying to, I think, you know, in hindsight, maybe we tried to do too much, um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, the, just all the different programs that we tried to implement there, the training, all that stuff. It was a, it was a big project for our first restaurant, but you know, we had a good ride. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you sort of remember from those days? Cause I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think about like you were doing just crazy stuff like, Oh, you can order a whole loaf of foie gras. Right. <laughs> like if you want to, or, you know, you, you opened the pass and there was the carts and everything. It was really like a, a style of service that just hadn't been done in Houston. I think that we really just wanted to do something, you know, like take the parts of the restaurant business that we love and amplify those and then get rid of some of the parts that we think aren't necessary. And, um, and I think coming from more of a fine dining background, making sure that like, we really, really wanted to make sure that service was first um, and really kind of wanted to drill that into our staff. And I know, and I would hope that the guests appreciated that as well, just because I do think that, um, you know, sometimes service, I mean, you know, the old thing of like bad service, you know, good food, maybe you don't go back, good food, bad service, you know, or yeah, good I'm service, bad up. food is you're yeah. more likely to, yeah. Yeah. So, but I do think that too, just really showing people what we considered good service was and hopefully that's what the guests got. What kind of made it seem like, you know, I, I, I don't want to linger too much, but like in 2019, you guys, you guys wrapped it up. Like, what was it about that time that made it seem like the time to, to walk away we were i mean look we wanted to keep it open we didn't want to close it um it we didn't have other jobs we didn't it was we had yes we had both since then started families and our families were growing um but we were trying to be uh responsible operators in the sense that this was the runway that we had left in terms of money in the bank. And if we go past this date, we won't be able to pay our staff. We won't be able to pay our vendors. We won't be able to like make it as right as we could and end it right. You know, I don't think there's really a great way to end it. I just think that we thought that if we don't do it like this, it'll be bad. Um, and we didn't want to just be like, well, let's try one more week. Cause you know, the worst thing in the world would be, telling your staff you couldn't, you know, we're not, those checks are going to bounce or something like that. So, you know, we always tried to look, we worked our staff hard and, you know, we still hear about it, but we, you know, tried to be as respectful as we could. And we always paid everybody for what they worked. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to get into a whole like workplace, but thing, but, I mean, you guys were there alongside your team. I mean, I, I have very clear memories of like walking in and seeing Terrence working the pizza oven, you know, at lunch. So very rarely was one of us. I, you could probably count on your hand the days that Terrence and I collectively were not in that building together or sorry, that one of us was not in that building. And at the end, I mean, that was part of the thing at the end. It was like, look, we were essentially open there. Like we were coming in making the breads because we didn't like stop making bread or any of that stuff. Like we made the bread. So we would come in and do it because we either couldn't find the right person or we couldn't afford to pay a baker anymore. And then we would most nights be there to close too. So it just, I mean, we're like, I feel like we left it all on the field um, <laughs> with that restaurant. And yeah, you know, I, of course, there's probably some decisions along the way where we could have maybe taken another opportunity, open a second location, something like that with the success of it. But, you know, we also knew that there was like a 
something really special happening there and we needed to make sure that it stayed special. Right. So that wraps up. And then, and then you moved to Marfa for a little while. I mean, talk, talk to me about kind of being in Marfa and, and I know you opened a restaurant and you, you were involved with the Marfa spirits company. So, so what's that, what's that been like for you kind of post P and P? It was, uh, I mean, going from Houston to a town of less than 2000 people was obviously an interesting move. Um, we, I was myself and two other, um, Josh Shepard and Morgan Weber, the founder owners of Marfa Spirit Company. Um, so after PMP closed, you know, I said, after talking to my wife and her begrudgingly saying yes, um, we moved to Marfa to oversee the opening of the distillery um, and the kind of the bar and then figuring out a food program there as well. Uh, and that got going. Then we had, you know, like a lot of businesses had some, some a little bit of a money crunch issue. Um, I pivoted from that into opening a little, there, there's not a lot of food options in Marfa. So I really wanted something to feed my family. Um, so opened a to-go food place and we opened the doors of that to-go pizza place one week before the country shut down with COVID. So we were the only business open for like six months in Marfa or maybe a couple, you know, a couple places started coming back as the thing started easing up, but it was, it was mayhem. <laughs> I mean, we're literally like feeding a town. Yeah, well, and to go pizza, I mean, you couldn't be more ideally suited to that kind of environment. Yeah, and we did online ordering. Everybody was like, nobody's going to do all, no one will do it. Like everyone, that's not something you do in Marfa. It's like, okay, well, we could try, right? Like it's not that, and set that up. That was, and it was just, it was crazy, but seamless in the way that we kind of transitioned into dealing with that. Um, and then... We started seeing that COVID was, you know, starting to calm down. We knew that as soon as they lifted all these restrictions that bars and restaurants were going to be crazy busy. Um, and we kind of also thought that, you know, bars and just in general, like alcohol, people are going to be looking for like something new to try once they're back out and stuff like that. So we made it a point to restructure how we did the build out at the building, kind of started smaller, got the um, production online and built the tasting room. And so we opened that will be about, it's about a year and a half that that's been open now. Yeah. So how is, how is Marfa spirit doing? I mean, I, I know you've, I've, I've seen you, you know, doing tasting events around town. I, I've seen it on, on some back bars. Yeah, we're doing well. We're, you know, continually it's, it's a serious hustle, definitely a different kind of hustle than a restaurant hustle. But um, because we have the tasting room there, the bar, it's a great place to visit when you're in West Texas. Um, you can do like a tour, you know, learn about the history of the building, the plants, stuff like that. And then the rest is like hustling around the, town um all we're expanding we're in colorado now kansas and texas and then we also have online like a retail sales available so we ship to like 35 states i think so it's it's growing it's look we're not <laughs> you know we're not we're not casamigas just yet but uh we'll get there yeah, you're not you're not quite uh, dos hombres. You don't quite have uh, Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston to, to push it for you, but not not just yet. No, uh, no celebrity endorsements so far. Um, but but I've had it and I and I affirm that it tastes good. So you know, for good. whatever I appreciate for that. whatever that's good for whatever that's worth. Definitely. Um, and then and then talk to me about coming back to Houston because it, you know, you're you're kind of you're kind of doing your thing in Marfa, and then all of a sudden I. 
I start seeing you around town. It's like, oh, so, yeah, so, so that's back in Houston. He's working for Southern Smoke. It's like, tell me, tell me a little bit about how that came together. Um, we were we'd been talking about it. We we have three kids now, so three young kids is tough in a little town with not great, you know, medical situations can be harder out there and schooling and child. I mean, childcare is the biggest thing. Um, and we've been talking about moving back to Houston. My wife's job is kind of based in Marfa and in Houston. Um, and we were as a family ready to come home. And Chris, I think we had always been talking and he was kind of like, well, I got a job for you if you want to come back and work for Southern Smoke. And, you know, I think that not being in a restaurant every day is can be good and hard at the same time. Just if it's something you've done your entire life, it's like, you know, it's very weird to not necessarily be in a kitchen all day, every day, but getting to work with Southern smoke was, is a great opportunity to, be connected to the industry and really feel like giving back as well. And not just trying to like, you know, be on the phone or hustling around the kitchen or dealing with like vendors, you know, whatever it is. So it, it was a great part to continue being a part of the industry for me. So, yeah. So what do you do kind of day to day? Like what, what is the culinary director? course around festival time it's my phone and emails and everything is just non-stop i am working with all the chefs so that come to festival so last year was about 70 chefs so kind of making sure that they have what they need things were getting to them if they needed them wherever they were we had working with our local chefs to help set them up here so they had what they needed when they come to visit so a lot of just like logistics, of course, day of and like days out and festival is just setting up for festival. And then I do a pretty good amount of fundraising and just kind of trying to get more sponsors on board as well. Just a little bit more of culinary related sponsors, uh, maybe thinking a little bit outside of the normal sponsors that they've had. Um and then because Southern Smoke is really, it, you know, it, it's a national organization. There's stuff happening across the country year round that we either are beneficiaries of or are participating in other festivals. We were just in North Carolina at the Triangle Food and Wine event, which was amazing. They raised two and a half million dollars in three days for the Frankie Lemon Foundation, which is just an amazing school there. So getting to be a part of those events but then also you know we'll be doing something have a some pretty we're the beneficiary of hot luck but then we have a big presence at hot luck as well this year which is exciting some really fun stuff that chris will start, probably start teasing out here pretty soon um that's happening with aaron and his new restaurant there um and then we'll be at the james beard awards this year doing an event with sarah grunberg at Monteverde. So helping organize that and then, you know, just general logistics of like what it takes to throw a festival, the size that we do every year, we will next spring have a spring festival as well. So we'll start doing at least two festivals per year. Uh, and then just some smaller programs throughout the year that, you know, choreographing with restaurants throughout the country. Yeah. I mean, cause last year's Southern smoke festival was so much bigger and more involved than anything they had attempted before. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I, I signed up and then they were like, here's the plan. I was like, Whoa. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, let's do it. But like, this is intense. This year is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do a one day festival with a, um, so it'll be one day for the big festival and then we'll have a more of an kind of an intimate dinner on the Friday night and we're moving the festival this year to 
uh, Discovery Green, which is going to be really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we'll have more green space. There won't be like those like those big dusty areas in that parking lot that we had last year. Um, yeah, people won't be baking on the concrete quite as much as they were. Yeah, and then um, working with Houston first, uh, I think we'll have some access to George R. Brown as well to use as kind of like a staging area for a lot of the chefs and stuff so they can really, a little bit more firepower for them to bring for the actual day of festival. But uh, new chefs will be coming back. Or sorry, new chefs will be here. Obviously, the ones that you would think will be back, of course. Um but it'll be exciting. You know, it's fun getting to see the chefs throughout the country as well. But then obviously having them here and they love coming to Houston. So it's really amazing how much it means to the chefs. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, you know, Aaron Franklin is always going to kind of be the the headliner. But but honestly, as long as you guys just keep bringing back Bianco, I, you know, I can I can get brisket, you know, <laughs> I that. Bianco pizza is a little harder to source uh, here in Houston, at least until that's uh, fair. Yeah, at least until Angelo opens his place. Right, Bianco's on the list. I'll give you. Um, we've got. We'll we'll announce soon, but like Evelyn Garcia said, she's going to come and do it this year, which is really exciting. I've actually she came and cooked in Marfa, which was fun. Um, so it'll be fun to have her out here. The you know, I don't know if you know Anna Castro out in, in New Orleans at Lengua Madre. She's a, just a badass. She'll be here. Um, yeah, Food and so, Wine Best New Chef, I think, right? And uh, yeah, beer nominee. Yeah, I think so. Matt Horn's coming this year, which will be a lot of fun. Arguably the best pitmaster in California for anyone who's listening that doesn't recognize that name right off the top. So it's. I think we're always trying to make sure that we have kind of the the staples like the Biancos, the Franklins, of course, but then some of the up and comers for people to try and then just like new places all throughout the country so that when people are moving around, it's like maybe, I don't know, hopefully you're going to visit them in their hometown and eating at their restaurant because you saw them here in Houston or something like that. So. Yeah, and I and I kind of hope it, it works the other way too, where you know these some of these chefs get a taste of Houston. They're like, you know, maybe maybe we could do something here. Like maybe you know maybe we should have a more permanent presence. Of course, I mean we all you know we've heard the Chang rumors over and over again, and all the other stuff. So I think people love people do love this town. Um, yeah, it's just get them to like pull the trigger on it every now and then. I mean, you you mentioned. Uh, that it's a little bit strange for you not being in a restaurant. Do you, do you get that itch? I mean, you know, like you said, Terrence, your, your old business partner, Terrence Gallivan is getting ready to, to open his place. I mean, I know Chris is out of restaurants at least for right now, but um, do you, do you kind of, do you kind of look around the scene in Houston and think like, I I could do so I could still do something in this town. I could still make a mark here. <laughs> um, Of course. I think that there's, I, because of my other obligations with my other jobs, I think it's would be hard. Um, but I am, I do some catering every now and then, um, which is fun and helps kind of like, you know, keep the, keep the brain moving in that direction. And then um, I'm cons- do some consulting as well. So I'm really excited to be working with Hori again and consulting on Katami. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I know you guys work together at, at Cata Robata and, and you want to, you want to tease us just a little bit, like what, what, what can we expect or, or what's going to I mean, it's going to be, that place is going to be a force when it opens and that whole center over there is going to be crazy um, when it's going, but I'm just really lucky to be friends with the owners and Hori who's an owner as well. And um, they were like, look, we'd really like to come and get you back to help us work on the kitchen food at Tommy and kind of do your thing. And so I'm looking forward to it. It's always fun, like 
getting to work with Hori and just talking about food with him and the way he thinks about food and service and just, you know, getting to be a part of all that stuff um, is an awesome opportunity. I love those guys. So, and the staff meal is not too bad when you're over there too. So that's nice too. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would think that's, that's pretty good. And I don't know, maybe they, I don't know. Do you, do you qualify for the employee discount? Cause I think that would be, that would be pretty tempting on a, you know, give, they, me, give me the Wagyu Sando. Give me, give me all the uni. Give me, give me whatever. I, I get taken care of pretty well when I'm there. So that's nice. I would think so. Yes. Um, well, Seth, I have to say that that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? Oh, you know what? Let me, let me just ask you just kind of, you, you went away for a little bit. And you came back and, and in some ways, you know, you, you have all these, these former employees that are out doing their own thing in town. Like what is, what is kind of your take on the, the state of the dining scene uh, these days? You know, that's kind of in some ways that you, that you and Terrence really helped shape. I mean, I think it's an awesome time to be a diner in Houston for sure. Your options are like endless. Um, almost to the point where stuff you just can't even remember all the places that are on your list to try. Uh, I think for us being back, we've it's our food budget has changed a lot and we're spending a lot more on food now than we did in the desert. Um, But I think that the scene is great. You know, it's, it's exciting. Lots of new openings. Um, I like that, you know, some of those, kind of old standbys are still pushing and around and they haven't been pushed out yet. Um, I, but of course getting to try all the new stuff um, and then just seeing like second, like, I mean, honestly, one of my favorite places is Winnie's. It's like, those guys are so talented and you know, they had, you know, had their run in the Heights and then they did this and I think they're like kicking ass. Um, they're a huge part of Southern smoke. So we love them. Um, I've, I haven't been to blue Dorn yet. Um, and don't know if I'll go. That's got to be a little tough for you. Yeah. Uh, but I have been to Navy blue and really enjoyed it. Um, it's great. Aaron's a, I mean, dude's a badass. Like the town is like, is so lucky to have him and his wife and their family here. Like he's, a legend and he's you know he is gonna like push houston dining into the next you know generation of like what fine dining in this town is so i think that's awesome and yeah i mean honestly i'm just looking forward to terrence's restaurant being open because i'll be there all the time so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm ready i'm ready for pizza and crudo and whatever else he wants to feed me exactly um but you know i think there's yeah we Chris and I talk about ideas all the time and half the time we end up talking ourselves out of them too. Cause it's like, well, maybe we just work on the Southern smoke stuff for a while, but uh, there's no shortage of ideas on maybe some things that some new businesses that could happen here. All right. Well, I, I think that's a good place to wrap it up before I let you go. We have to play the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Seth Siegel Gardner, what is your favorite ingredient? Vinegar. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Damn it. I honestly can't remember. It's terrible. I'm sorry. All right. Fair enough. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Waterburger for sure. Um, doesn't even matter. Honestly, I had this like jalapeno thing there the other day that was pretty satisfying, but I do so much road tripping that Waterburgers for sure. All right. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I got to say Altuve because I'm a short dude and my son's short too. So Altuve. <laughs> and then finally, when you're ordering a pizza, what are your go to toppings? 
I'll go sausage and peppers. Classic. Yep. Steph, give us the uh, the website for for Southern Smoke. How can people keep up with what you guys are working on? Uh, southernsmoke.org. Um, and then just keep a lookout. Definitely follow us on our Instagram as well. And keep a lookout. We're going to have some save the date announcements coming soon. So we really need everyone to take a look at that. And we'll be announcing the chef lineup here in the next few weeks. So we're excited about that. Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Good to talk to you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.